Hey, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of these um, impromptu little audio podcastettes, uh, that uh, mini podcast that I'm doing now that I'm on Substack uh, that I wasn't doing before that are generally only going to be available for uh, paying subscribers, but uh, I'm going to just put this one up for everybody. Um, as you know, if you subscribe to my Substack, whether paying or not, um, a friend of mine died about a year ago in September, but I just found out a couple of nights ago. Um, I talked about it a little bit in the monthly newsletter I just sent out. Anyway, his name was Chip, and uh, when I say he died 11 months ago and I just found out, obviously we weren't in touch at this point. He was one of my best friends in high school, um, and uh, it's a weird thing, I have to say. It's a weird thing, because my life has not changed at all. There's he, he was not present in my life other than as an idea and a memory or a collection of memories. And yet knowing that he's not out there living and breathing changes something for me. Um, I feel different. It's like a volcano erupted on the other side of the world. I can't hear it. I can't smell it. But somehow I feel it. And I think one of the reasons I feel it is that of all the people I've known, he is one of the most, uh, how do I say this? He he sort of embodies a life force in a way uh, in my consciousness. I'll be talking about him in the present tense here because I guess I still haven't wrapped my head around the necessity of using the past tense when I talk about him, but also because my memories are present. As I just said, nothing's really changed for me in, on, in any concrete way. It's all conceptual. But in any case, um, I thought I'd say a few words about him. I don't know if this is if this has any value for you at all, or maybe I'm just doing it for myself, like you know, those people, I've never understood this, those people who write, you know, a peon to their marriage on Instagram when it's their anniversary. You know, I met you 27 years ago and you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Okay, why am I reading this? I don't know why you post this on social media. So maybe I'm just guilty of the same thing. Maybe I'm doing something like that here. I don't know. Anyway, a few words about my friend Chip Kime. I met Chip when I moved to Fairfield, Connecticut uh, in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. So that makes me 15, I guess. Um, that's a tough time to move. You know, that's a tough age to lose all your friends and your support network and move to a new town. Very different scene. Like where I had been living was Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, which is, a, well, at least was then a, a very working class place. Um, steel mills and farmers and lots of horses and hunting and trapping and living in the woods. And I love that shit. And um, 
my best friend in Beaver Falls was a guy named Dave Rabassi, who was half Apache Indian and half Italian. Looking back on it, I'm pretty sure his father was in the mafia or running drugs from Latin America or something. He was a he he ran the flight school at the local airport. Uh, he had a Learjet, and yet he had one glass eye. Now, I don't know how you get a jet pilot's license with only one eye, but somehow he did, and he was mysteriously missing for days or weeks at a time. I didn't see much of him. I saw a lot of his mom, uh, who was one of the sexiest women I'd ever seen at that age. So, yeah, I don't know. Looking back on the Rabassis, I wonder what was going on there. But anyway, I moved to Connecticut, and here I am in Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, at Andrew Ward High School, which at the time was one of the best schools in the country in terms of, you know, how many kids got into Ivy League schools and average SAT scores and all that kind of shit. And of course, it was one of the best high schools because it's one of the richest counties in the country. And in America, school uh, revenue is based on local property taxes. So rich kids get the good schools, poor kids get the shitty schools. Anyway, Chip and his family lived a couple doors down from the house my parents bought. So Chip and I saw each other in school and also we were neighbors. And... um we got to be quite close and he was he was one of these people and there have been a bunch of them in my life um, where I've been, I don't know whether it's because I moved a lot as a kid or some innate quality I have or uh, I don't know what it is, but I think it's reflected in the podcast as well. But there is this pattern in my life of sort of being the only person that someone will confide in the the confidant the you know the person that other people come to me and say well uh, how did he tell you that i didn't know that or why he never told me that i've known him a long time there's just i really feel honored by that and i feel it with animals too i i have a special thing with cats a lot of Friends will ask me to come in and deal with their cat because they don't, the cats just, I just understand cats and they seem to understand me and no jokes about fucking pencils and all that at this point. I know you're thinking it. Lots of you get your minds out of the fucking gutter. Anyway, Chip was one of those guys. Chip was a problematic person. He was angry. He was big. He was out of control. He was brilliant. He probably, I don't know much about IQ, but if average IQ is 100 and genius starts at 130, I'm sure he was up around 180 somewhere. He was incredibly intelligent, effortlessly intelligent. That's the thing. He didn't work. He sat in the back of the fucking calculus class and drew this ongoing comic book about the teacher whose name I don't remember. Um, and, and just didn't even pay attention. But every test, he got the highest possible score in every class. He was just so smart. He was like Michael Jordan at basketball camp. He was just like, this dude's, uh, he's in a whole different dimension. 
But he was bored because, of course, he was taking all the advanced placement classes. He was at the top of everything. And still, he wasn't even close to being seriously challenged. So he got a little crazy. Um, Another aspect of this was that he was adopted. And I think he was deeply angry about having been abandoned by his birth parents. I don't think he knew them. I don't know if he tracked them down later in life, but certainly in high school, he didn't know who they were. But it was pretty clear that they must have been very intelligent people. Um, And so in his mind, that probably meant that they were privileged and that their decision to put him up for adoption was not made in desperation. It was a calculated decision, which left him quite bitter, I think. Anyway, at the time, there was a TV show called MASH that was very popular. I don't think Chip watched it, but I watched it. And the hero of that show was a guy named Hawkeye Pierce. And Hawkeye Pierce was sort of an emblematic figure of that time in American history. He was... He was countercultural. He was, uh, he had the sort of anti-institutional intelligence of someone like a George Carlin. Um, and remember, this is the days of Watergate when, you know, there was a lot of sort of residue from the hippie movement, the sort of free, open sexual movement, and Nixon being exposed as a fucking criminal. Um, There was a lot of kind of like, oh, the squares don't know what the fuck they're doing. And the real intellectual and artistic power was coming from an alternative source. And so Hawkeye Pierce played a surgeon in the Korean War who was serving on the front lines of the war in a medical uh, mobile army surgical Hospital. That's what MASH stands for. And it was based on a film, highly recommended, starring Elliot Gould and some others. But the TV show ran for, God, I don't know, 15 seasons or something. And uh, Hawkeye Pierce was this guy who broke all the rules, but the institution couldn't punish him because they needed him. He was just too smart and too good. He was a great surgeon. He was saving lives. So they ignored the still that he had making vodka in his tent or all the pranks that he got up to and all the trouble he caused for the higher-ups. They had standing orders not to touch him because he was just too fucking smart. And I think, I don't know that Chip ever thought of himself that way, but that's certainly how I thought of him. He would roll into school in his car and park in the principal's reserved parking space. And nobody said a word. He did shit that a normal person would never have done. But he was just exceptional. His car, which I mentioned, uh, by the way, was incredible. It was an LTD, which is one of these like giant Cadillac-like boats, these massive, you know, land yachts. And Chip got, for some reason, he got some fog lights and he mounted them on the bumper. And this bumper was probably, you know, eight feet across. 
And then he just got obsessed with them and he ordered more and more and more and just kept buying more of these fog lights until he probably had 20 fog lights mounted on the front of the car. And we used to do stupid shit like drive down the road and I would drive in front of him with my high beams on and people would flash their high beams to tell me to turn mine off. And he'd pretend that, you know, he thought they were flashing at him and then he'd like turn on all his fog lights. So it looked like a fucking jet landing on on the road. Surprised we didn't kill anyone. Another time we... We went into a Porsche dealership. We used to pretend we were brothers because we looked kind of similar. We both had red hair. And uh, so we went into this Porsche dealership. I think we were both 16, maybe 17, but I think we were 16. And we told the, the, this is in Fairfield, Connecticut, or Westport, or Greenwich, these very rich towns just north of New York City, and uh, we told the uh, the guy that we were brothers and that for uh, graduation from high school, our father was going to buy us each a Porsche uh, or any car we wanted. And um, so we wanted to test drive a Porsche 911 Targa. And the guy fucking gave us the keys and let us take it out. <laughs> Unbelievably. And I had to drive because Chip didn't know how to drive a stick shift. So that was, you know, we were driving a $130,000 car down the highway, uh, laughing our asses off. Another obsession he had was uh, Farrah Fawcett Majors in his bedroom. He had one whole wall over his bed. I'm talking about a wall probably 15 feet long by 10 feet high or 12 feet or whatever, covered with cork board. And the corkboard was covered with photographs of Farrah Fawcett. Uh, if you don't know who she was, she was a big deal in the 70s. And he just was obsessed. It was Farrah Fawcett everywhere on that wall. No, no one else, no other woman, just Farrah Fawcett in every kind of clothing and cut out photos from magazines. And yeah, so he was that kind of guy. He was a... Uh, a strange dude. Um, he loved rap when the Sugar Hill Gang came out with uh, the first rap song. He learned all the words and used to rap them, which was kind of funny. Big redheaded white guy rapping Sugar Hill Gang. And uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. And he wore these... Um, he used to wear this Mormon hat, this black Mormon hat with a flat brim and leather driving gloves. And that's what he would wear driving around Fairfield, Connecticut in his LTD. I guess the, one of the reasons I remember him so fondly is that when I moved to Fairfield, I was very vulnerable right a 15 year old kid in a new town with no friends is like a fucking clam without a shell it's you're extremely vulnerable and chip and um this crew of guys um took me in and accepted me and welcomed me and there was no real reason for them to do that i was um 
Yeah, they were the the smart kids. They were not really nerds, but they were the smart kids in that class. And um, that really meant something in that school. I was the smart, I was among the smartest kids, you know, in terms of grades and testing and all that in my school in Pennsylvania. But that was a different scene. You know, that was farm kids. There, There weren't, they weren't academically oriented, but in Fairfield they were. And, uh, so I was definitely, you know, toward the bottom of the, of the top in that school. Um, but they accepted me and treated me as one of their own. And it had a lasting permanent effect on my character. And I'm grateful to Chip and Jim and Benjamin and Alan and the, that whole group of guys who could have easily, they didn't need me. They could have easily just, uh, excluded the weird new kid and, and gone on with their lives, but they didn't. And that really, yeah, that mattered. So the last thing I'll tell you that happened with me and Chip one day, we were at my house, a couple doors up from his, and there was a terrible rainstorm, really crazy rainstorm happening. And we were looking out the window, just watching it, you know, the craziness and um, there was a flash of lightning really close by. Boom, boom, thunder, right? Immediate thunder. And Chip got it in his head that the lightning might have struck his house just down the road a little bit. So we took off our clothes, except for our tidy whities uh, underwear, for those of you who might not speak English as a first language, and um, we ran down to his house, barefoot, soaking wet in our underwear. It's maybe, I don't know, 400 yards or something, four football fields away. We ran down the road through the rain, got to his house. His house was fine. The lightning obviously hadn't hit his house. And we ran into his garage. The door was open. And then we pulled the garage door down. Um, but not all the way down. We pulled it down just enough so that the, the window was at our eye level. So that meant that the the bottom of the door was maybe uh, a foot and a half off the ground. And we stood there watching the rain fall through the window, soaking wet. And then there was another lightning strike. And we both blacked out. And we woke up, we were both on the ground. And we looked at each other and jumped up and pulled the door closed. And we were both stunned. I don't know if we jumped up or we we slowly got up. But uh, later we figured out that what had happened was that the lightning had struck nearby enough that the air was charged electrically charged and the way we had the garage door set up the air was rushing in under the door and hitting our legs and so i guess that what happened was that we sort of indirectly got struck by lightning the lightning charged the air the air hit our legs and we collapsed that is the closest i've come to being hit by lightning i don't think it counts technically but it's pretty damn close And uh, that happened with him. Anyway, after high school, uh, Chip went to Duke and studied medicine. 
And uh, he did become a surgeon, like Hawkeye Pierce, uh, an orthopedic surgeon. And he worked in um, Texas for a while. I know he was working in um, emergency rooms in Texas. And uh, I heard about him because his mother and my mother stayed friends. And uh, so I used to hear from my mom, uh, you know, through that connection. And um, yeah, and then his mom died a few years ago. And when I heard that, I wrote to him um, and, you know, told him how sorry I was and, and my memories of her. Actually, my parents moved to a different town uh, in the summer between my junior and senior year. So I had been two years in Connecticut at that point. And I decided I was going to stay in Connecticut and finish out the year and graduate with my friends. And I lived with Chip and his family. Um, But after a few months, I changed my mind and went to Casanova, where my parents had moved and uh, I think I talked about that in the first Toma episode. Sort of, it sort of started when I left Connecticut and, and went to Casanova. Anyway, um, yeah, and and he uh, responded, and at that point he had retired already. And we, you know, he said, "Hey, I'd love to see you if you're ever in. Uh, I think he was in Tennessee or Kentucky. Um, love to see you." And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to." catch up with you, but, you know, I've never been to Tennessee or Kentucky, and I figured we had plenty of time. We'd cross paths sometime, somewhere. But, of course, thinking you have plenty of time is always a mistake. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he had cancer or if COVID got him or what happened. Uh, In his obituary, it doesn't really say. It uh, says in lieu of flowers, contribute to the Hospice um, Association of America or something like that. So maybe that means he was in hospice, or maybe it just means he respects their mission. Um, But he was 59, which might seem old to you, but it seems pretty young to me. And it just seems like he spent so much of his life preparing for something that he hardly had a chance to do. You know, all the education and training and residency. And and then he retired. I think he probably only worked for maybe 10 years as a, you know, private practice, fully fledged surgeon. Strange. Makes you wonder, you know. What are we preparing for? What are we saving for? What's it about? I'm glad that uh, the time that he did have was spent largely helping people. And uh, I hope he overcame the anger and sense of betrayal that he felt. Anyway, just a few words about my friend Chip Keim. Hope you're doing well. And uh, I'll be back with a more sort of conventional podcast episode in a few days. Thanks for listening. Bye.